Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Rich Allen and Jeremy Smith. It's all going off in France this week, and with just a few days left of the transfer window, there could be a mad trolley dash to the checkouts. But before all of that, and a great Liga weekend, here are your latest headlines. After taking one step forward last weekend, Marseille took a big step back as they lost 2-1 on Friday night to high-flying Lille. Crowd trouble caused a delay of around 30 minutes in the second half, but even a goal on debut for Mario Balotelli was not enough to save Loem from defeat. In the multiplex on Saturday, the day's big six-pointer went to Dijon as Kwon Chang-hoon and Naim Sleety's goals beat the then-managerless Monaco. Uh, Naldo saw red for the second time in consecutive games as well, with Leonardo Jardim taking charge for a second spell, sort of before the game, but was not in the dugout during the match. Elsewhere, Rance are now level on points with Marseille after their 1-0 win over bottom side Gengom. Strasbourg remain fifth with a 1-0 win over Bordeaux, with Nice on their coattails as they are just a point behind them after they dispatched Nîmes 2-0. On Sunday, Montpellier got back on the horse with a 2-0 win over Colne. The visitors now only goal difference outside the relegation playoff places, well, play, sorry, which is now occupied by Amiens, who helped Lyon extend their gap to those chasing the Champions League places to four points. Saint-Étienne will have to wait till Wednesday to try and close that gap as their game with Nantes was postponed for obvious reasons, while Toulouse and Angers move fixture to later on on Sunday ended in a goalless draw. In the final game of the weekend, Paris Saint-Germain maintained their form sans Neymar in a 4-1 win, marred by a missed red card after a dangerous by Niang tackle on Tilo Kera. More pressing concerns are for the Brazilian forward, who may now require surgery on his metatarsal on his foot and could rule him out not just for the Champions League games, but potentially for the rest of the season, should that surgery need to be going forward. In transfer news, Sunderland's Josh Madger has joined Bordeaux for a fee believed to be around €3 million. Euros. Gelson Martins has joined for an, oh, has swapped uh, Atletico Madrid for Monaco temporarily until the end of the season, while Rass have snapped up Kosovan winger Arbazanelli from Heronmay. And that's all for now, but to keep up to date with all the news in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week with only one real place we could go, and that is Monaco. It's all in the news, and it was happening sort of before our eyes on Thursday with uh, Thierry Henry being suspended. He was then sacked, and now Leonardo Jardim has been confirmed as the man coming back in. There's a number of changes he may be making, Rich, but let's talk about the game first, because obviously matters on the field are the most important. And this was a massive game, and it's gone against them, really. And I suppose the only positive they can take out of this weekend is that both Colne and Angers still, uh, and sorry, and, and Amiens still lost. So they're only still sort of two, three points off um, those the relegation playoff place and catching those two teams up. But this was a big opportunity missed. Uh, it was. Um, not too many positives to take from uh, from the game for Monaco, I think. Um I suppose the only thing is that they 
at least looked create a bit more creative. Although you know you don't want to do them as service, but it, it is only Dijon, and they are quite a, a leaky team, so it's not surprising. But at least they created opportunities, which certainly in previous games um, they've they've looked even devoid of, of that kind of uh, glimmer of uh, sort of ray of hope. Um, so there was at least that, but it's you know it's it is another disappointing um, defeat. Uh, it, it does tee things up, obviously, very intriguingly now with with Jardim in. As you say, he was he was in the stands for the game, wasn't officially um, officially in charge. That was Frank Passy. Um, <clears throat> it was it really was the same old problems, though. You know, it's a very very nervous looking Monaco team. You know, their their confidence is shot, and that's that's through you know, inexperienced players all the way up to the very experienced players that they have um, in in that squad. And we saw Badi Achille, um, you know, really struggling at the end of the game to sort of keep his emotions in check. Um, and that, that goes all the way through to, as I say, you know, the, the real experienced players, you know, Camel Glick, how many times this season have we said, Camel, this isn't the Camel Glick that we we know. Um, you know, we, we know him to be a, uh, you know, a leading um, centre-back in this division. Yet uh, time and time again this season, he's just looked so shot of confidence. Um, Naldo, who I thought was going to be a very good signing uh, with all the experience that he can, he could, he could bring, you know, yes, okay, his first red card was uh, not a red card and should never have been given. But, you know, no denying that, that red card on... Um, on Saturday evening, it was a ridiculously wild, needless challenge, um, and it was deserving of a red card. And that's not, you know, that's that you, know, you could perhaps expect that from a young player, a little rush of blood to the head, but not someone with all the age and experience that Naldo has got, especially, you know, having previously been shown a red card, albeit in, as I say, in in incorrect circumstances. So it, it was the same old problems really for Monaco, as I say. In terms of positivity, really, really strong. You're clutching at straws, really, to claim that that creativity was a was a positive because you could then counter it by saying, well, they were incredibly wasteful. I think it was 20 shots they had, of which um, a little over quarter of them were on target. Um, so yes, they were create. Yes, they were creative. Yes, uh, opportunities were there, but. You know, failed to convert any of them. So still masses of work to do. Um, and, a, and I think a very interesting couple of days with the transfer window due to close soon for, for Jardim. Mm, absolutely. And the interesting thing that's come out of a lot of this really, Jez, is it seems like that Leonardo Jardim has come out swinging this time. He seemed dejected sort of when he left um, a couple of months ago. He's returned and he's willing to swing round the cat, round the place, I think, and knock everything that he has in sight because Michael Emelio has left the club, the, the former Chelsea sporting director as well, who was in charge of, of transfers. He's obviously not too pleased with him and he's gone just before he's been sworn in. There's rumours that he's uh, looking to off-shift uh, Yuri Tielemans, who he's not been pleased with since he's been at the club, um, and, and looking at his potential Adrian Silva, who obviously a Portuguese international, who'd be well aware of his uh, fellow compatriots' abilities in midfield. Um, but it's it seems like he, at the moment, from the sounds of things, at least anyway, um, the difference this time around for Leonardo Jardim is he's not messing around, it seems like. But do you think he's got enough to turn this team out that 
admittedly, while being more creative, did not score goals against one of the worst defences in Liga. Um, he should do. I mean, in terms of sort of swinging his authority around, I think he had quite a bit anyway. Um, you know, when he first arrived at Monaco, he wasn't necessarily the, um, the best known or best respected um, coach around, but he certainly obviously earned a lot of credit at Monaco with the sort of style of football that all the styles of football that he could play in, of course, with the title and the way that he brought through so many youngsters. So I, I don't think that, um, uh, I think his stock was quite high. And, you know, the fact that he's come back obviously shows that, as we all know, that they did sort of part in good terms. And only earlier last week, he said that there was a chance that he'd come back back in some capacity or other anyway. Um, I wonder if Emanalo, I, mean, I think the writing was on the wall with him for a while anyway, after having such a bad summer, and possibly this was kind of a good way to go about getting rid of him. I wonder if it's sort of been put under Jardim's name, but maybe everyone wanted rid in any case. Um, I mean, but basically, he's, he's kind of played a blinder. He, he left sort of a little bit tired and, and worn out with a really poor squad and those with any kind of name or experience were either injured or shattered after the World Cup. He's come back 7 million euros richer for a start um, <clears throat> and with his batteries refreshed with a stronger squad and you'd hope with some of those players, people like Subasic now coming back, Lopez, Falcao has had his injury problems um, this season. Hopefully, all ready to, to sort of come out firing. Um, so, I expect him to pull it out of the bag. Um, I've said on Twitter a few times to people this week. I expect, I think, Omi would have done as well. Um, I, you know, I don't think I'm absolutely in agreement with lots of people that Omi did a lot wrong. Um, but I also think he wasn't exactly sort of handed a, a full deck of cards, and I think if he was given a chance with this squad, um, I think he probably would have pulled it out of the bag as well. The problem is that, as, as Rich said, they're so low in confidence, it's such a knife edge, that um, take that take the match on, on Saturday night, you know, a couple of early chances for Falcao, if one of them had gone in, um, you could see them maybe maybe settling and sort of um, hunkering down for, for a narrow win, but go a goal down and heads go down and, and um, then they're sort of fighting a losing battle. And I can see that somewhere along the line, you know, one, one streaky win one way or the other um, might be the start of a run because they definitely have the spine now of a good team and should be able to put it out of the bag. But until they get that win, um, <laughs> it's not an ideal situation. And, and these are the matches that, kind of match against Dijon, albeit away, albeit against a team just scored six away from home, um, that they need to be getting something out of, both because they need the points, but also to keep another team uh, back down there. Dijon are now five points ahead, and, and that's a big gap when you're fighting relegation. There's sort of, you know, one one relegation rival sort of halfway out of out of that sort of little, that mini league that, that they need to compete with. So I do. I, I think he'll be okay, but it's still far from straightforward. 
Yeah, I just want to give this team a, a good kick up the backside, I think, more than anything. It needs a right roiling telling off because oh, watching the game back a little bit on Saturday earlier today, some some really poor moments, not just from defenders. I, I mean, we, we've talked about the centre-backs enough, but I, I want to highlight a few more players that were pretty awful at the weekend. Benjamin Hendricks he cannot defend for the life of him. He lets Quan Chan Hoon, he's a good player, but it's the simplest move of a ball over the top and he just has to follow the player. He doesn't even pay attention to it and he almost gets punished a second time with a with a chance for uh, I think it was Tavares as well or was running off the back of him. He's not concentrating when defending and looking at players running past him instead. Uh, the Shafiq pass was lovely though. Yeah, but you should still <laughs> a basic defender should be following his runner it's yeah, not yeah, true. it's not the most difficult thing for him to do and and oh, the problem with the midfield has been it's been a problem all season really uh, and uh, I, I don't think Fabregas has solved anything yet because the problem was that they couldn't keep hold of the ball and couldn't defend it and all he's added is more players that lose the ball in bad positions for other teams to score so far and that's not surprising for someone who uh, has really been coasting at Chelsea the last year or so and has not done anything yet I mean his first few games at, at Monaco but uh, uh, looking ahead at least anyway Rich there's a few things that Leonardo Jardim needs to fix but do you think maybe he needs to be that kind of manager that goes back to square one when he did first come to Monaco, when he did have that side that was so solid defensively as well and was sneaking out 1-0 wins? He's the kind of manager that can bring that organisation. He has to sort of revert back to that, surely? I, I don't think he's got much choice, to be perfectly honest. With, as you say, uh, a misfiring midfield, which then leaves uh, a forward line pretty isolated. They're going to have to look at, at reverting to reverting to uh, sort of Jardim's Monaco version one, if you like, and 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 get those um, you get that defence in order. Um, in essence, that's possibly possibly the trickiest job he's got. Um, but at the minute, it seems as though with with the players he's got, you know, seemingly he's not going to be able to bring in a significant number of players. Um, between now and the end of the transfer window, you just feel that the players, the players that he's got in defence, I just feel that there's a, there's a, there's a possibility that that could happen. We know that we know that Glick can perform. Yeah, we know Sidibe, for example, is has got his flaws. Yes, we know he can also be a good player. Uh, we we know Naldo is a good player. He's just not had a good start. Um, whereas a number of those midfielders. Um, you know, they're, they're still a little bit untested. You know, Tielemann seems to be on his way out. Golovin has been effectively an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> um, and there's just a real, there's a real, um, you know, struggle in that midfield. So I think, you know, Jardim's going to have to really look at that defence, get that tightened up. You know, I, I don't think Bernaglio did particularly much wrong um, in goal, but you know, you would you would argue that that Subasic is just about the better better goalkeeper. So you can you would only hope that at least that can provide a bit more a bit more stability, and you hope then that that sort of flows through the defence. Um, you know that familiarity that Subasic will have with with Glick in front of him. You just you've got to hope that that works. So there's there is a huge amount that Jardine needs to do, but I think he can't go in all guns blazing. Um, this isn't the time to be, you know, gung ho in, in you know, this attractive forward um, 
attack-minded football that we know Jardim can play. This this is going to have to be the the sort of pragmatic, um, not particularly pretty, but very effective football. So I think that's I think you're right that that's really where he's going to have to start with. And then in time, of course, that attacking football can come, and maybe with a you know a build-up of confidence in the defence. That can then spread forward throughout the team. So we'll, we'll just have to see, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Premier League fans already and Liverpool fans as well know how good Fabinho is. I think this is even more testament to how crucial he was at Monaco and how he sort of held things together for them because it's been impossible to replace him. And the fact that they, uh, you can see where the mistakes are coming from, just where he used to be. And it's uh, it's all sort of falling apart from there. But we'll see if they can pick it up. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jess. No, I was just going to say on that, I think possibly if he can stay fit, the most important signing of this Conte could prove to be Vanka. Um, I think he did that job well at Marseille. as a kind of um, just, you know, solid sort of rampart in the, in the middle who can protect the defence, but also in a way sort of do the do Fabregas' legwork for him and then sort of give the ball to Fabregas and maybe he can preserve energy and, and, and do what he does best. Um, and then the only other one I wanted to mention, again, someone said today on Twitter that everyone's cutting Oli too much slack. I mean, personally, I think it's the opposite, actually. I think people were desperate to be able to say, oh, you know, massive ego got in the way. And I, I don't think he's necessarily been um, fairly treated. But the one thing that I would say when we're talking about how bad Monaco's defence has been up till now, personally, I think the most impressive thing Defender in recent weeks has been Bradley Shiloh, who, as Rich said, has clearly taken this really badly, understandably. But I think he's been really impressive, and you know, possibly that will be his main legacy. Though, was him sort of brought him in and really gave him a chance in the first. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how Monaco sort of go again under the Portuguese manager and see if Leonardo Jardim can pull them out of the mire and just show if he is really the top quality coach that we th- we very much thought he was when he when he won the league with them on from disaster movie really to pantomime maybe might be the best way to express it as we we head to to Marseille because they ended up with a 2-1 defeat to Lille in sort of farcical circumstances it was almost watching a, a drama it was quite nice that they well they held the game up a little bit at least for me to catch the last 30 minutes because that was the entertaining part and, and, and Jez it was it was pretty mental really that that th- that microcosm of that that last 30 minutes was very much a Marseille season wasn't it I mean what Balotelli comes on to add the well at the start of it Tilvan gets a, a, a silly red card that, that spikes the crowd up again Balotelli comes on and and tries to be superhero again and Marseille push to rapidly and letting a silly goal and then even still then grab a goal that would have been an equaliser in another game but because of their own sort of eagerness to try and get back into the game it's caused them a problem at the back end and now in eighth position on equal points with Ras who have only just been promoted who admittedly had a terrific season it's it's after a week where we thought maybe that con result might be just the sort of tonic they needed it's gone backwards again. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's one of those matches that had a bit, a little bit of everything, and you know certainly what you'd sort of come to expect from from Marseille and everything that that comes with it. I mean, in Germany they call Bayern Hollywood FC, but I think Marseille really are Hollywood FC. Um, 
and you know from from the fans beforehand saying that they weren't going to be there for the first 10 minutes as a protest to Marseille actually having a very good first 10 minutes and um, you know really going at, at, at Lille and maybe being a little bit unlucky to, to, to have a goal disallowed. Um, then Lille got back on top, you had Tolman sending off, which actually, um, I know Tolman had a big rant about it. It was, for me, it wasn't that it was a bad foul, but it was just a huge level of petulance. I mean, he just lashed out the guy, and even though he didn't catch him or injure him, you can't, you can't do that kind of thing. And actually, Tolman didn't argue much at, as he went off. It was only sort of afterwards that he made a big fuss. So. I'm not sure he's got much of a leg to stand on, to be honest, even though it certainly wasn't as bad as, as what he had got away with. Um, and then, yeah, they were sort of suck. Well, then there was the the flares, which, you know, speaking as a mess fan, is, is unforgivable. <laughs> um, I, you, you can understand the Marseille fans' frustrations, but I'm not sure they always go the right way about about it can that you know the booing and the whistling it's fair enough to make your point but you're not i don't think you're helping the players your own players by doing that kind of thing um and obviously now um you know the the, the, the club stands to be stands to be punished in, in a much worse way and it was interesting that um there was a quote that appeared tonight from from an unnamed member of staff at Marseille suggesting that possibly um, having to play behind closed doors might do the players a favour rather than having to, to play in front of their own, their own fans booing them. Um, but it's possible that, that the LFP goes, goes down on them even, even more strongly. And, you know, at worst, they could, they could get a points deduction, which would, would affect their chances of qualifying for Europe even more. Um, all that said, they did show signs of life. They did look good at the start. They showed a bit of character at the end. The fact that Balotelli got off to a, a goal-scoring start and you know, almost had another, had a brilliant snapshot from the edge of the area that, that just went wide, and that actually even made it one all at the time. So, you know, I think he is a sort of confidence and a good mood player. So the fact that he did start with a goal maybe stands him in good stead for, for a little run before everything goes wrong as it usually does with him so but not everything as usual not everything is completely terminal there but it just feels that the atmosphere around the club and the way that everything is so black and white there i think exacerbates little problems and makes them seem worse than they are and it's it just turns into a bit of a vicious circle yeah, it doesn't help when the, the fans are starting to get on them and that delay certainly didn't help either. But one one player I sort of wanted to point out really, um, Rich, especially because he was so good last season and especially in the last month or so, he's been so bad, really, in my opinion, especially. Luis Gustavo, who gave away the penalty for Nicola Pepe's opener as well. And it's it did go to VAR, it wasn't given initially, but it's a horrendous challenge, really. It's He's very lucky that he got a yellow. He probably should have got a red, and we'll, we'll talk more about VAR in a little while as well. But he's sort of symptomatic of how this team's gone backwards, isn't it? I know he's not playing in his ideal position. He's sort of playing centre-back more often than centre-midfield, but he's been pretty dreadful, really. Yeah, he's a shadow of his former self. You do wonder, with the pair of Gustavo and Tovan, if it's just sheer frustration at the situation. You know, they have both been 
by a long, long way, Marseille's best players now for two seasons, two and a bit seasons. You just wonder, is it just frustration now that they have put in these... You know, Tova had the season of his life last season. Gustavo has, certainly for the last two seasons, been one of the standout midfielders in the division. And they're putting in these performances. They're getting Marseille almost there. They get to a transfer window and nothing happens. The The team doesn't progress. Bad signings are made. No progression. Team doesn't move forward. And, you know, it's another season where Champions League football is is looking more and more like a, a dream rather than a a, rea- a reality or a realistic chance. So you just wonder if between the pair of them, it's just frustration now getting to them. Um, you know, we, we thought we'd seen the petulance of Tovan sort of ironed out. You know, that's that made a return. Gustavo just seems to be so sort of peed off that he's continuously having to play out of position. Um and he's clearly not a central defender. He's not He's not good there. We can see that. But ultimately, he is still better than the vast majority of the other options at, at Rudy Garcia's disposal. And it's ridiculous that it's in that situation. And, you know, if I'm Louis, Louis Gustavo, I'm thinking exactly the same thing. I think, you know, I've, I've been close to being player of the year, the seasons I've played in midfield. You're now asking me to play out of position. You're not going to get the best from me. In actual fact, you're going to hamper the team because I'm not a good I'm not a good defender. You'd be you'd be right to be annoyed about the situation that that's it that that, that he's in. Um, so I just, as I say, for me, it just it just screams of frustration that that you know for all the effort that he has put in, the team as a whole hasn't progressed anywhere near to the levels that it should have done. Um, so. You know, it doesn't look like there's going to be much more, if any, movement in the transfer window this month, which means yet again, they're, they're, a window has passed where they have only partly got what they needed to get. You know, Balotelli could turn out to be uh, a really good signing. He's certainly going to be a better signing um, and a better option than the players they do have up front at the moment. Um, but there's still there's still the clear and obvious holes in that squad. Um, and for someone like Gustavo, you must be thinking, I'm at the end, I'm close to being at the end of my tether. You know, how much more can I put into this team where the owners, the coach, sporting director, whoever, are clearly not doing their jobs? Their jobs are to coach the team, to develop the team, to improve the team. And it's just not happening. So if you, you if you're Gustavo, you're thinking, I'm close to having enough. Uh, enough's enough, really. Yeah, and it must be more frustrating that, in all honesty, Lille didn't have to really get out of third gear to get the win out of this one. I know Marseille had pressure at the start and the end of the game, but Lille didn't really have to be really terrific or play out the skins to get a victory here. They sort of, especially in the the, the, the goal that sealed it, was very, very amateur stuff, but good finish by Pepe. But just to finish on, on Marseille, Jez, I, I'm pretty sure all our English viewers will want to hear how Mario Balotelli's first cameo in LOM shirt went. He, he, the, the, I think the best way to describe it, especially from his attitude and the, the way he looked like he wanted to do it, very much like most Mario Balotelli um, debuts, I think uh, Blood and Thunder might be the best way to put it. Yeah, I think it was kind of uh, a standard 
early appearance for a new club performance, you still had the, the sort of the moaning and the you know, the whole world seemed why always me kind of thing. Um, everyone's got it in for me. But you also had um, glimpses of, of the real quality there. Like I said, there was the, the, an excellent snapshot from the edge of the area and what was a, a very good header to, to score the consolation. Um, uh, often, maybe Liverpool aside, uh, generally Balotelli has, has started well at most of the clubs he's been to. And I don't think anyone disputes that when he really wants to be, he's a, he's a fantastic player. Uh, the question has always been the, the, the mental side and, and how long you can maintain good form before uh, falling out with, with, with people. Um, so it was, as, as everyone has said, however it turns out, for neutrals it's going to be entertaining. And yeah, I think, I think this is a good a start. Obviously, to, be, to have been on the winning side is even better, but... I think it was as good a start as he could have hoped for. I don't think many people were even expecting him to, to, to be in the squad or to make an appearance since he hasn't played for about seven weeks. So to, to actually come on and to score goals um, was, yeah, it was like ideal for him. Um, and as usual, it's, it's, it's about how and whether he can maintain that over a long period. Absolutely, a terrific header really to get his himself off the mark, and uh, he, there's no much lack of trying in that game. But like you say, it's just finding a way to keep him getting that motivation and keeping him on that edge without being a uh, teetering off it anyway. But do something about the hair, Mario. It's not uh, not the nice <laughs> style at the moment. Um, I don't know if I must say. Uh, on to the top of the league stuff now. Uh, Paris Saint Germain grabbed another win at the weekend at the expense of Rem. But that's not really the main talking point for Benny after this game, Rich. It was uh, by Niang's tackle on Tilo Kera that um, certainly got um, Thomas Tuchel in a, in a bit of a fit. It's, it's not a pretty one to watch, really. And uh, another example maybe of VAR being good in the sense that we can see these replays and they have these opportunities, but at the same time, French referees and the French refereeing authorities are not using them correctly. Yeah, it it was a tackle at the time. Uh, you know, blink of an eye when it happened, you didn't, you know, it was a foul, but you didn't really see how bad of a foul it was. Um, you know, it, it went in, um, yellow card was shown, uh, free kick awarded, and you thought that was that. It became quickly apparent that Kara was in a lot of pain. Um, it went to VAR. Um, VAR, you know, judged that the referee should come and have a look at it. Referee comes and has a look at it. You see it in slow motion, and there is zero denying that that is a red card. It's right on the ankle. It studs up. It looks dreadful. Um, you know, we everybody with VAR has been saying, yeah, but it's showing things in slow motion, and things in slow motion always look bad. It doesn't matter. That that that's a red card. Yeah, I can I can say that as a Ren fan without any any hint of, of bias. That's a red card, no matter what. Now, this is the thing, you see. This is not then VAR's fault, because VAR has correctly said to the referee, you need to have a look at this, um, because, you know, we think that there's been a, a wrong, you know, there's an incident here that you, you might have missed. The referee's had a look. The referee's seen it in slow motion, various angles, and somehow has come away from that thinking, Yellow card's the right decision. I don't. I don't know how. 
You know, VAR for me did its job. Um, for for some reason, the referee decided studs up on the ankle late warranted a yellow card only. Now we saw some of the tackles this weekend that were rightfully shown red cards. I, for the life of me, have no idea why why that wasn't a red card. So if I'm a PSG fan, I'm rightfully feeling aggrieved on on that particular incident um, because there is no shadow of a doubt that that should have been uh, ran down to 10 men for the rest of the game. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's another mark against VAR where it just feels a little bit like sometimes they don't want to overrule the referee if he's already made the decision sometimes. But that's not the point of the technology. It's to help referees. He can't see that a second time. It's not the option available to them. They need to, to assist them. And maybe a little bit more of saying, can the ref have a little bit of a look at this rather than trusting the, the VAR? Because, yes, it does cause a longer delay, but for at least the time being, the referee can see and go, well, yeah, clearly I couldn't see that in first motion. It should be a red card. There needs to be maybe a little bit of a discussion about that or something in the, the ref's thing. But let's not dwell on that too much because there's quite a bit, really, for PSG to have their focus on and, and a couple of interesting ones, really. And The, the main one this evening concerns Neymar, really, Jez, and he... Well, according to sources, he's sort of 90% certain that he will need surgery on the metatarsal break that he had um, in the midweek game. And it's, it's, it's an unfortunate one for him. He, he's, almost, he's certainly going to miss the first Manchester United game. It's pretty certain as well he's going to miss the second one at least. If he does require that surgery, which is pretty likely, but we've not had full confirmation yet, um, then he could miss the rest of the season again, which is a shame. He'll at least get to his sister's birthday again, which would be nice for him. But <laughs> this, despite that positive for him it's, it's it's again a little bit of a disappointment that we're not going to see especially where in in all honesty this has probably been um even better than last season he was in he's been in great form and uh, and especially in those big games in the champions league where we want to see him play he's, he's going to be missing um yeah psg obviously United in, in in much better form, but PSG should still, I think, be able to um, to have the beating of, of Man United. But you'd want them to have their their strongest squad available, and of course, the strongest squad includes um, includes Neymar. And you know, even if not for the for the United match, if they get through that, by all accounts, he, he may even be be missing for for another round or two after that. Um, and it's a concern because obviously on his day he's he's a match winner and we've spoken I think a few times this year about how you know after the experience of last season and also um, you know being like basically globally embarrassed uh, during the World Cup I think he has knuckled down this year I think he has um, looked much more of a team player much more interested um, certainly in that um, for example in that sort of decisive Red Star Belgrade match even looked like um, he was more interested in, in staying on his feet and playing football than, than diving around. So uh, I, I feel sorry for him that he's sort of been um, cut off, I guess, in a way in his prime when he's really looking um, the sharpest he's looked since he's been at PSG. Um, and obviously from a PSG point of view, it, in theory, sort of... Um, dampens their, their chances of, of going further in the competition. But <coughs> as, you know, as Richard's team was a, was a victim of on, on, on 
on Sunday that you know, they've still got so many options up front, so many different ways of scoring. Cavani, who you know, a lot of people have sort of been writing off this season and saying he's not out of his depth, but looks you know, a step behind all the others. He's now um, you know, within a couple of goals at the, at the top of the scoring charts. You've even got Mbappe deigning to, to pass up a good chance to score himself to set Cavani up for goals, which I guess is a good sign for, for PSG's harmony. Um, so th- there's still lots for them to, to be very positive about, but yeah, for, for Neymar himself, it's, it's a really big blow. Um, you've got to feel a little bit sorry. You know, <laughs> I, I don't apologise for, for being one of those who's, who are, was highly critical of him last year because I think there was lots about his play and his attitude that stand. But I do think it's been a lot better this year and I do feel a little sorry for him. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, the thing is, in the, especially on those kind of special players that you do get sort of once in a generation, it is always a shame that they they miss sections of the season, if any, and, and especially when they're in their prime, because uh, we've seen a number of excellent Brazilian players, even very, very good ones, um, get, sort of when they do sometimes hit their 30s, lose it because of these injuries that they pick up. And you just hope that it's not going to knock it and he can come back to uh, to full fitness and be superb again because you'd never quite know with any injury at least. But uh, on to sort of off-the-field matters at Paris Saint-Germain, Rich, it's been really interesting this week to to hear about uh, Angelo Henrique, the the current sporting director. Um, there's rumours that he might be... Well, he, it might be let go uh, come May time, but it might come even quicker than that from the sounds of some of the stories coming out. Now, obviously, Frankie de Jong has decided to join Barcelona over Paris Saint-Germain, and that's the main reason Nasser El Halifi was looking at getting rid of him. But Tuchel has also spoken today of his surprise that um, the Leonardo Paradis um, deal that's been confirmed almost to a, to enough of a degree for him to speak about it. Him not being in the ground, Tuchel was saying he's looked in the changing rooms, he's looked in the in the physio rooms, he's looked all the way around the club but not spotted him just yet. And it's also because reportedly Henrique is trying to change some of the contract details at the last minute. Um, it all seems a bit dash at the moment, doesn't it? That but PSG are desperate for a midfielder. They were desperate for De Jong and have missed out on him. They're now desperate to get Paradise over the line, so they've got a midfielder in their ranks. And they, with four days left, it's getting closer and closer to that deadline. Uh, he could be gone by the end of January, couldn't he? If, if, that, if he can't get that deal over the line, which is pretty much confirmed, and then he's tried to change things last minute, and which annoys any club, really. Um, he, he, he's, he's not playing with house money at the moment, is he? Well, that's the thing is if he's effectively this transfer window being given one job and that's bring in a defensive midfielder. You know, it was the area that we've all known for numerous seasons now that PSG have needed to to enhance uh, and bring in a quality player in that particular position. Uh, and we've had transfer window after transfer window where that hasn't happened. You know, this is the window now where he has effectively been told there's no other distractions. We've got a limited budget, supposedly 30, 35 million. Basically go out and get us that defensive midfielder. And we're now, what, 28 days into the transfer window and PSG still don't have that defensive midfielder. Uh, you know, they put a lot of time and effort, um, trips to Amsterdam, talks with, with, with Ajax, talks with the player's agent to, to try and bring Frankie de Jong. And for a long time, 
it looked like PSG were going to lead the race. And that would have been a superb piece of business. Okay, it might not have been that they had have they'd have secured him right now, but they'd have secured him for the summer. And that that would have had you know that would have then been been them set in that position for the next what eight, nine, ten seasons. Easy. Didn't happen in the end. Now there have been numerous, numerous um suggestions and rumors as to why and, and whether there were these text messages sent by Neymar, which I you know I would I, I choose not to believe to to try and give Neymar the benefit of the doubt, but you know, we never know and we will never know. Um so he they've missed out on him, you know, Ducore. It seemed at one point he was going to be him, missed out on him. Um they're still ongoing with Idrissa Gate. Now I can't believe Everton are, you know, that much of a of a pain to do business with. Um they've been pretty clear on the the value that they want. In fact, they've been prepared to lower the from the value that they'd wanted. PSG aren't, aren't seeming to to hit that amount. Uh, Paredes has has got the as close as anybody has got to joining PSG to tick that box. And Henrique supposedly or rumored to be messing around at the eleventh hour, putting the entire transfer at risk. Um you know, I'm I'm sorry, but he's ultimately failed. Sporting director um, is a you know is is a fairly straightforward job in France, uh, and for someone like PSG, especially in this transfer window where his his specifications were so so obvious, so clear, it's almost so specific that it, it it seems it seems more impossible that he couldn't they couldn't end up. With a, a defensive midfielder, yeah. As I say, we're 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 you know three four days away from the tra- uh, the deadline day um, arriving, and they still haven't got it sorted. Uh, now, if if for whatever reason nothing happens, he's got to go. To be honest, even if they do, you know, even if Paredes does get over the line, even if they then do bring in a Drissagay as well. It's not put PSG in the best of lights in terms of you don't see Barcelona. Okay, maybe maybe the signing that they've made recently up front <laughs> would go against that, but you don't see a team like Barcelona, Real Madrid, um, you know, a Liverpool, a Manchester City desperately scrabbling around trying to find a player at the you know at the last minute and just effectively being held to ransom by clubs because they know that that team is desperate. They don't get into that mess. PSG should not be in that mess in the slightest. Um, and the fact that they are, as far as I'm concerned, that 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 has to rest on on uh, Enrique. Um, and for me, I, I can't see... If he, if he survives this transfer window, I can't see him surviving much beyond the summer, to be perfectly honest. It's difficult to see him going. I can't believe the slander we're having at the Prince um, on this show today. I don't know if I can accept that, really. But yeah, he's, it sounds like he's he's going to be gone out of paradise. The, the, the deal seemed to be over the line, and then it's it's, it's gone backwards again. I don't know really what's going on, but um, hopefully they can get that one over the line and get um, some Champions League work. But maybe not this season, for personal reasons at least. Anyway, on to transfer news now, at least anyway, in three really interesting deals coming into league uh, uh, over the last week and the first one we spoke just before the show started Jez that it's a deal that three years ago I think Sunderland it might be just over three years ago uh, Sunderland bought um, 
Bordeaux's best player at that point in 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 uh, Wabi Kasri and um, for a good deal of money. And now Bordeaux have returned the favour by uh, purchasing Sutherland's best player in Josh Madger, who only had six months left on his contract, so he was looking to leave. But Premier League clubs were even interested in the young forward who's done excellent in League One this season and did okay in the Championship as well in his brief appearances. There, Bordeaux have been all looking for a, a main striker for a good two or three years now. He's very young. It's not too much of a risk. Uh, sort of believed to be around three million euros. It's a really interesting move from them, isn't it? Yeah, I think really interesting and, and sort of brave on both sides from from Madrid and from Bordeaux. And I think it's a reasonably well calculated one. I think you know, it's not difficult to to look around Europe and see that there are um, a few young English players that that felt they weren't getting enough chances at home, they've gone abroad and they're, and they're doing very well. And, um, I, you know, I wonder if it's also something that's, that's being encouraged within the England setup from, from Gareth Southgate down. And um, it's, it's stunning, maybe not that surprising, but um, doesn't really make sense that this kind of thing hasn't happened earlier when you look at how other countries and other countries' players have thrived by playing abroad. France is, is one of the very obvious examples, Brazil as well. There are so many um, young French and, and, and South American players coming to Europe. Um, and, you know, it's not even just the football inside. I think it's also sort of getting a, a general education and growing up as people and um, you know, having other languages, other responsibilities. And I think that, that does reflect well um, or sort of Maybe it sounds silly, there isn't an obvious chain of causation, but I think maybe it does help them on the pitch as well, just being more settled. Um, you know, it's certainly in tournament situations and being used to um, a sort of foreign environment. Um, and I think it's, it's a good move. I think it's not sort of going up to the, it's going up to the highest level, obviously, but not, you know, a, a, at risk of sounding like a couple of bitter Sunderland fans and directors, Bordeaux at the moment are not the very, very top, so he's not going to be massively in the public eye, but he's gone to, to a team where he can he can test himself, he can compete for a first a first team place um, without maybe having too much pressure to kind of immediately hit the ground running, but he can realistically expect to, to get good first team chances. Of course, he's getting all of that at Sunderland, but with the best will in the world, yes, they are a big club, yes, they are well supported, but yes, at the moment, they are in the third tier. And having the opportunity to, to expand his horizons, do it in a very nice area of the world, and do it in a top, in a top flight team with European aspirations, but without ridiculous amounts of pressure on him, I think could, could work out really well for him. And you know, looking at the kind of player he is, two-footed, he's strong, he's good in the air. Um, I don't think he'll allow himself to be to be bullied by the, the you know, quite physical um, French defence. But he's also got the, the ability to to bring the ball down and play good football. I think he could be really well suited to do that football. 
Yeah, and I think what I like about him, especially for Bordeaux, is he's a bit of a poacher as well. He's a bit of a fox in the box. A lot of his goals in league have sort of come from what I've seen of highlights, at least anyway, this season has sort of come from rebounds and, and little balls in the six-yard box even. So it's exactly the kind of player Bordeaux needed. And if he can show his form there, it'd be really, really great, both for England and for, for Le Girondin as well. It, the big signing, really, this week, you might say, is, is sort of come up. Uh, it's been rumoured, at least anyway, all week, but it is sort of only sort of gone through on Monday, uh, well, earlier on today, really, Rich. It's Gelson Martins, who's joined Monaco on loan from Atletico Madrid. It's not really worked out in Spain for the former sporting Lisbon man, who was great in Portugal, really, and is, is really high thought of there as well. A bit of a speedster, a bit of a, a pace difference in the in the upfront marks it's maybe not exactly what Monaco need but they he's also the kind of player that they they don't have in those kind of areas at the moment so maybe he helps them expand a little bit more going forward yeah yeah it's i mean if they can if they can get him back to uh the form he had at sporting then it's it's a brilliant piece of business um as you say he he struggled to uh to find regular football um, following his move to Atletico. Um, you're right. I also don't think it's necessarily a player that's of the utmost importance, but, um, you know, a player that is quick, a player that is willing to, you know, take the ball and run with it. Um, yeah, maybe they are lacking a little bit. Um, you know, you wonder perhaps how him and, and Ronnie Lopez will play in the same team, whether Ronnie Lopez will be moved over more towards the left wing or even maybe more centrally. Um, we'll have to see because you know, there's no doubt that Ronnie Lopez needs to be playing for Monaco as well. Um, there's also the possibility that, you know, Jardim being a, a former sporting man himself, um, you know, as, 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 uh, as Martins was breaking into um, the sort of sporting team was the, the season that, that Jardim was there. So, you know, Jardim clearly knows the player. Jardim has, has always seems to remain well-connected with his with his previous clubs. So he's going to know better than most what kind of player he's going to be getting. So initially I was a little sceptical as to, is this really what's needed? The more I think about it, the more you look into it, the more you think, actually, you know what, this this could be, you know, a really a really good move. Um, you know, it's it's low risk. It's it's only a loan move. Um, it it could just bring that sort of X factor, I suppose, isn't it? Really, that 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 forward uh, that forward line for Monaco has has lacked a little bit this season. So yeah, if they can get it back to the form of um, you know two three years ago, um, they're going to have a you know a really talented player. Um, and let's you know, let's be honest as well. For all the problems that Monaco are in, um, they've still managed to, you know, pip the likes of Arsenal to the signing of Gelson Martins, which shows, you know, the influence. And you know, you do wonder what impact you know Jardine coming back had on a decision there, because certainly I think Monaco arrived fairly late to the scene on um, on looking to complete a deal for him. So, you know, you wonder if that Jardine effect. You know, this is the first player, you know, how many more players can that have that effect on? So, yeah, I, I think this this could turn out to be a, a pretty decent signing. 
yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how he does go because, I mean, at one point, Sporting Lisbon were asking for 120 million euros from Atletico Madrid after he'd sort of cancelled his contract and then whether that gets sorted out while he's on loan there still remains to be seen. The final one was the, the transfer, really, that I really liked this week, and that's Rance have signed the Kosovan international, um, Arba Zanelli from Heronvein, who's been on the radar of a few clubs really especially in Germany uh, and Italy but a player I really like he's had a couple of injury problems and he does sort of be very can be very inconsistent for hair and vein for the last couple of years not been able to see him uh, much this season but someone who's creative someone who likes to 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 take on players from the left wing, cut inside, have a bit of a shot, create. Um, I, I really like watching him play. And it's the kind of player that Rance needed. They are excellent defensively. They're so well organised. They just needed a little bit of flair. And it's one of those moves that for the club is an interesting one. It's not a huge risk on a, on a player um, when they're in a better position in the league this season. So they can take this kind of risk this this season. For Zanelli, it's the right kind of uh, half step, if you if you will, to to the next level. Really, we've seen other Dutch players. I'm thinking uh, Ali Reza Yaren Bakash. Uh, Brighton has maybe taken a too big a step to a, a difficult league for him, maybe. And then another one that comes to mind. I was thinking of is uh, Usman Tanana at uh, Maybe that was for chasing European competitions. Maybe a bit of a difficult one for him. He never quite. Um, took off at Leve, but um, someone that Rance are really doing, and they're, they're also interested supposedly in, in Baba Raman as well on loan from Chelsea, who's still only 24, which seems a little bit strange to, to the mind, but they're going for little by little ambitious moves just to add to what they've already done, and I, I really like the the, the cut of their jib at the moment. They're really taking advantage of a, of a good season to help improve their team and, and not just go into the next season as the sort of second season syndrome for promoted sides and actually maybe establish themselves as a league on power once again as they, they have been in the past. Um, um, oh, could go I, ahead, could I, just before we all, could I just add one more to the uh, the transfer thing? Um, Strasbourg, um, obviously they completed the loan signing of Samuel Grancier, uh a week or so ago. Today completed the loan signing of, of former Ren and Sosho player Sanjin Perchich. Um, I think that's another really excellent um, loan move. Um, you know, he'll add a little bit of guile in that that centre midfield. Strasbourg obviously flying um, incredibly high at the moment. Um, and I think, you know, as you were saying with, with Rouse and the, player, the players that they're looking to bring in, um, you know, this is a real intent that... Um, that that Strasbourg, you know, want to want to really continue this momentum and these kind of signings, albeit only on loan, but these kind of signings show show the intent of that. So I think two really good pieces of business from Strasbourg in the space of a week. Yeah, it's just gone under my radar that one, Rich. I think it, uh, I loaded this about three hours ago. But the the transfer window on Liga and it didn't have that one. And now it does have that one. So yeah, really interesting signing that one. Him competing with uh, potentially with Thomas and his, like, that central attack midfield role will be interesting as well, unless he plays a little bit bit deeper. It'd be really good to see what they do. On to the final bit this evening, and our Liga snapshot is always a, a favourite of mine, at least. And I'll start with you, Jez. What's your Liga snapshot this week? Um, I'm sorry to. To go back to them, and I know again it feels like I'm picking on them, but um, I think my favourite moment, I think, of, of uh, this week's football was um, Marseille's attempt to kick off the, the second half of their match. I think it was possibly Tovan, I'm not sure, who um, spotted the little keeper off his line and tried to have a shot from um, 
than the halfway line and it just sort of squirms away for, for a throw in about halfway up the pitch, um, which is actually a, a, a tactic which I saw for years at Brighton, but um, this is a, you know, supposedly a World Cup winner or a, a, a top-flight team trying this. And it was, you can't, you can't fault the idea and, and, the, and the sort of imagination, but the gap between... Um, yeah, between the inspiration and, and the actual ability was was sort of painful and a bit laughable and uh, kind of, in a way, summed up where Marseille are right now. Rich, what's your league of snapshot? Um, mine's a a little bit of a, uh, of a of a of a gruesome one, I suppose. It's talking of of I mentioned earlier that there were some um, you know really nasty nasty challenges that were shown a red card, you will struggle to see a more wince-inducing one than uh, Papa Gillibodji's red card um, for, for Gangomp against Rams. Um, you feel for him because there's no, there's no uh, violent intent in it, but as a ball comes over, he swings his boots and absolutely smashes into the face of, of, um, of Pablo Chavarria absolutely wallops him and slow motion does it no favors whatsoever it is it is an accident he's gone for the ball it's at that height where one player goes with his foot the other goes with his head but it's just it's just a horrible horrible mess chavaria is down he's left with a broken nose there's blood everywhere and you see jillabodji's shaken you know he didn't mean it um he's shaking shaking his head at himself that that's happened and uh, sort of head on head in hands kind of thing but it's 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 really not pretty but it's it's a deserved red card um but oof, you watch that in slow motion it's it's really not nice you can't help but uh close your eyes at the point of contact yeah absolutely it's not the not the prettiest one but two, two from me this evening one good one bad i'll start with a bad one and this is there's the proverbial wall i think in in footballing terms where sometimes a player can can fall off a cliff and it's only really um, more concerning for defenders because it does happen very very quickly for them i'm thinking even the best of them gary neville rio ferdinand uh, hit the wall very quickly and one man that's hit the wall and uh, i think it was epitomized by his own goal which was very common a very comedy own goal this weekend for Paul Bice at Col. Um, it sort of rebounded off everyone and he took a swing at it and it, it went into the back of his net and he's been pretty bad really since he's been back at Col. And we remember a couple of years ago how good he was at, at Nice in that in that back three with, with, with Lucian Favre and even with a club well before that and he's, he's come backwards since then. He had an awful spell at Malaga where they, they've essentially ran him out of town and um, it's not been much better since he's been back at Colin and uh, um, he had his heads in his hands. He is a sort of a very proud and a heart on your sleeve kind of player, but um, I think it's quite clear that uh, the, the best years of Paul Bass are, are definitely behind him. But the good thing at news otherwise was uh, back at that Monaco-Dijon game that we started at, the good news is someone who has plenty of years left of entertaining us and one of my favourites in league is Quan Chang Hoon being back in the starting lineup. He's only had three games back from that horrific injury that saw him miss out on the World Cup where he would have definitely been a feature and an exciting one at that, being in such great form towards the end of last season for Dijon. And him getting on the score sheet, him having a, a nice little game again, getting back into the flow of things, hopefully 
hopefully he can be the man that um, helps propel Dijon back up the table again and someone that uh, you should definitely keep your eyes on at, uh, if he does perform at the level he did last season because he, he could be a really sneaky buy in the summer for someone because he can be a real live wire and it uh, does remind me of one of my other favourite players a little bit of uh, a bit of a Park G song about him of, of the energy levels and the, the commitment so he's just maybe a little bit better in, in front of goal but um, I do really enjoy him and great to see him back on the football field uh, that's all that we have for this week uh, my thanks to Rich, Jez and all of you listening at home do join us again for the preview show on Thursday for now um, and uh, the main show will be back next week uh, same time same place thank you very much enjoy your evening I'll be until and goodbye <laughs>